Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. I'm alongside, as usual, my dad, Chris Baker. And here is what we have on the menu for you guys today. We will talk about which Blue Jay is set to go first uh, come trade deadline day. We'll talk about the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. We'll get into another segment of Relevance Zero. Uh, we will talk about Ryan Baraki's return. We'll talk about what happened in Tuesday's game and something that was requested by a lot of people. Uh, we will introduce a new segment called Worth Noting, where we share news and notes from around the league and the Blue Jays' farm system. And uh, it's going to be a pretty good episode. Chris, how are you today? I'm good, Dylan. I'm uh, feeling like it's trade deadline time, which gets to be a very exciting time of year in this world. It is most certainly an exciting time of year in the baseball world as the trade deadline is fast approaching. And we can focus on the trade deadline today because the Jays aren't playing, so we can take a moment to gouge our eyes out with forks and um, <laughs> get set for when the Jays play again. Cause that was brutal last night. They got no hit through, I believe it was six and six. I think it was six innings yesterday um, that they were no hit. And then Eric Sogard finally broke it off with a double in the seventh. So that was good to see that someone eventually broke up the no hitter, but getting no hit through six innings is not a good thing. And the amount of times that this team has been no hit through the first couple innings of a game is is, is far too many. So it was, uh, I was happy to see that we eventually did break it off and did not get no hit yesterday by Shane Bieber. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, this has happened way too much this season. There's way too many offensive holes in this lineup at the moment. Um, obviously the kids are coming up too. So you've got that option uh, or that uh, happening rather in, in the lineup, but, and there's going to be ebbs and flows to their results, but, um, the, you're right. There's it's way too many times that they're getting no hit through the first half of a game, and, and better than the first half of a game, and that's that's a little bit scary. But at the same time, I get where the team is in transition, and uh, but again, that's got to be worse in the worse in the major leagues, and 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 in that case, you know that's not acceptable even for where the team is at right now. Yeah, for sure. And you cannot be no hit through half of a game or around that. Because that's just that's just ridiculous. That cannot happen at the major league level. And you know what? It can happen every once in a while. We see it happen quite often, but it can't happen so or it can't happen as consistently as it does to the Blue Jays this season. That is unacceptable at the major league level. Let's get into our first segment of the day. Uh, which Blue Jay will go first at the trade deadline? And it is fast approaching. So we asked this question: Who would be the first to go? We've obviously heard Marcus Stroman's name a lot, but Ken Giles has been a hot topic lately. And as has Daniel Hudson. Hudson has an 0.89 ERA in his last 16 appearances, and is getting hot at the right time on the mound, coming out of uh, coming in for uh, coming in relief. Sorry. Uh, another guy is Eric Sogard, who could be moved to make room for Bobochet. Sogard is having a career year at the plate and is being talked about being linked to teams like the Cubs. So who do you think will go first? Well, I think th- that some of these guys getting hot at the right time is a really good uh, good thing for the Blue Jays. I don't trust this front office to get the return that they probably could. Um, I don't think I ever will until they prove to me that they did get a return in one of these deals that, uh, you know, where they win the deal potentially even. Um, But having said that, I I think, you know, the question you're asking is who's going to get moved first. I wouldn't be surprised to see a Sogard move first. Uh, I think that's really, you know, that kind of super utility guy that, 
a lot of teams really need and they need them now. Um, I think we'll still see Stroman and others moved, but I think those are the more complicated deals due to the return that you're looking for to get back from those guys. So like a Giles and a, and a Stroman. So I think my personal prediction would be to see a Sogard moved, uh, maybe a Hudson as well. I, I think one of those types of guys first and then closer to the deadline, we'll see some of the bigger guys go. Yeah, I agree with that because it's easier to ship away a guy like Eric Sogard, a guy like Daniel Hudson. And Hudson is is really hot right now coming out of that Blue Jays bullpen. And we saw it last year, the same type of thing happened with John Axford, Sunwano, and Tyler Clippard. Unfortunately, the Jays don't have three guys this year that are getting hot at the right time. Last year they did, and they ended up getting um, Forrest Wall back in the Sunwano trade, which I believe was the best return that they got last year at the deadline. And uh, it's good to see that Daniel Hudson is pitching well and Marcus Stroman. Oh boy, has he been good lately. So we are going to, we should expect as Blue Jays fans that we're going to get a big return. Unfortunately, the front office is not necessarily known for getting big returns. They aren't necessarily known for doing much as a front office. Um, Stroman's ERA has dropped below three this season. He has an ERA at 296. And if you don't get someone's top five prospect uh, for, for Strowman, I, I'd, be, I'd be furious. Um, and I was on MLB.com the other day, and I was reading an article. They, were, they named 20 players and gave predictions on where they would all go. And I believe it was uh, – actually, I'm not going to make any – I'm not going to say who wrote the article because I am not, I'm not too sure. Um, I read that Marcus Strowman – they think Marcus Strowman is going to go to the A's and – um, and their top prospect, who is a third baseman, is he's currently being blocked by Matt Chapman in that A system because Chapman is so good at the major league level. He's getting a ton of playing time uh, in AAA, and he's batting three thirteen right now. Maybe he gets moved to the Blue Jays, and they transition Vladdy over to first base earlier. That's what they were saying on MLB.com. Would you agree with that prediction? Do you think that Marcus Stroman could go to the A's and we see a return of a third baseman? Highly unlikely. Uh, I, I don't. I don't see that happening. I mean, uh, you know, are the A's even that good this year? I, I mean, they are. They're they're hot lately, and they're pushing right now, and they need a starting which they always do. Ace. I mean, that seems like an annual tradition for them. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I don't I don't see a Stroman going to Oakland unless um, unless they really want to see him get fired up and be angry because uh, <laughs> that's where he's not going to want to go. He wants to go to a big market contender. Clearly, he wants the Yankees. He's just not saying it out out loud. But, um, you know, I don't see him going to to Oakland. But again, uh, and I definitely don't see that. That to me is a little bit too complicated for what the front office wants to do right now. Like trying to get somebody who's going to force Vladdy to transition to first base. It just seems like. That's a lot of extra work they don't need to add to the roster right now, and uh, especially since they're still trying to find space for Pichette to come up. So I don't see it. I mean, it's an option, obviously, especially with the way the A's are playing, but um, they'd have to probably overwhelm with uh, maybe even an extra prospect in there too to, to get that one done. Yeah, I think that's, that's what they'll have to do. And quickly, would you like to share your predictions on where you think these guys are going to go? Well, I think I think you could see Stroman potentially go to the Yankees. Although, again, in division is not ideal. Um, it, Atkins has shown, though, in the past with with the half deal that he's not necessarily afraid to do that. 
you would just have to have the return to be better than Billy McKinney. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but again, and Brandon Drury and Brandon, and Brandon Drury, Drury uh, the strike strikeout King of the world. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, um, it's a little tougher to get a read on it this year. I'm finding than uh, than in past years. And, you know, I don't see a lot of the rumors coming out. Uh, you know, I've been looking at Ken Rosenthal's tweets and they're all, you know, with dollar signs in them because everything he tweets now you have to pay for. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's like, it, it's tough. It's tough to get a read on these rumors to really make that prediction. Um, what are your thoughts? I personally have Ken Giles going to the Twins because the Twins need bullpen help right now and a guy at the back end who does not fear pressure, he, in fact, punches it in the face. And you will, uh, you will get that reference if you saw a video of Ken Giles from last year. But uh, they need a guy who is good in the back end of that bullpen, and Ken Giles is the man for that. I mean, we saw it the other day how they coughed up a lead to the Yankees. Um, that was quite the game, the 14-12 to final. Um, and then Aaron Hicks with possibly the play of the year to end that game. But Ken Giles, I see going to the Twins. I think that they might overpay for him just based on how desperately they need a reliever at the back end of their bullpen. So I think Giles will go to the Twins. I see Eric Sogard going to the Cubs. And I say that solely because I have heard rumors of Sogard going to the Cubs. I've heard people mention it. And that seems to be the big thing with Sogard right now. Looks like the Cubs are showing a lot of interest in him. So I'm expecting that he becomes a Chicago Cub at or just beyond the trade deadline. Um, and Daniel Hudson, I have no idea. I feel like maybe the Dodgers will be looking to better that back end of the bullpen because if there is one area that the Dodgers might want to improve upon, it is that bullpen. The starting pitching has been phenomenal. The offense led by Cody Bellinger has been amazing. So maybe Daniel Hudson goes to the Dodgers and pitches in the back end of that bullpen. Um, and Marcus Stroman, it's a guessing game. I've got three predictions, three, three possible destinations. Number one would be the Yankees. Number two would be the Braves because it seems like Alex Anthopoulos is really big on reacquiring Marcus Stroman, having him better his team. Um, and the Braves certainly need starting pitching help because their bullpen hasn't been good, but their starting pitching has managed to be even worse. And the offense is really carrying that team. Every once in a while, you'll have a good start from one of those Braves starting pitchers. Kevin Gosman occasionally will be good, but you know, they need a guy like Marcus Stroman who loves pitching in big moments and the Braves are leading that division. So if they want to make a playoff push, you need a guy like Marcus Stroman. So I think that the, it'll either be the Braves, the Yankees, and maybe a wild card team. I don't have a prediction for a destination, a third destination, but I think maybe just maybe a team will come out of nowhere and uh, attempt to scoop Marcus Stroman up. So those are my predictions for where all these guys are going to go. Moving on, this past weekend, we saw the National Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony where the late Roy Halladay, along with Mike Messina, Edgar Martinez, Mariano Rivera, Harold Baines, and Lee Smith were inducted into the hall. It was obviously quite sad that Doc couldn't be here to see his induction, but he is where he should be immortalized in Cooperstown. My question to you is, will we ever see a pitcher like Doc in the MLB again? Uh, Well, that's a big question. I, I... I mean, not in the near future. There's no question about that. I mean, you know, Doc was even unique in his time to be able to do as many complete games as he did, as many innings as he did. Um, 
it, it's going to be tough to ever see a pitcher a pitcher do that again, especially in this day and age of of openers and tinkering around with the way pitchers pitch. It's going to be tough. It, it is going to be tough. But uh, but I can't say. I mean, you can't. It's ne- never say never, right? I mean, and I would hope that we would see one, especially in the Blue Jays system someday again. But there's very very little chance we'll ever see somebody of the caliber and human that Doc was. Yeah, and Doc was such a good pitcher. I enjoyed the uh, Justin Bieber song reference there with the Never Say Never. Um, <laughs> but uh, Doc was such a good pitcher. He was such a good guy, and he worked hard every day on uh, on his craft, and he was insane. And you hear, you hear, you hear teammates insane in his, in his performance. You hear teammates, former teammates, mention it all the time. He worked so incredibly hard, and you know. I feel like teams aren't going to push their pitchers to work as hard as Doc did because he wanted to pitch deep into ball games. He wanted to complete the game. He wanted to be out there for the entire game. He wanted to run that whole show. And right now in the MLB teams, like you mentioned, are tinkering with pitch counts. They're tinkering with how pitchers throw. They're, they're adding openers and stuff like that. I personally don't think we'll ever see a guy like Doc again because I think that this movement of – being very careful with pitch counts, which I think is very good. I personally believe that the pitch counts were really high for people that pitched in Doc's time and before that, and it's not good for the arm. So I do like the pitch count thing, but not openers. I don't think that the opener is a good is a good move. I mean, you lose one of your better relievers usually uh, late in the game because you wanted to have him face the first three batters in someone's order, which I don't I don't find very smart. But, you know, some managers do, and for some managers it does work. But I just don't see anyone like Doc um, in the big leagues ever again just because of how hard he worked and how, how much he wanted to pitch. And like you mentioned, the complete games that he had, all the innings he pitched, I think that a guy like Doc is going to be really tough to find. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you do bring up a good point as well. I mean, it, organizations now are, are very, very – uh, strict with their young players and almost owner base like that, like they do own them. And, you know, doc had a lot of things that he did that uh, AJ Burnett talks all the time about how he warmed up and the things that he learned about doc on game day and even preparation in between game days for him uh, and for starts and, and, you know, running up and down the bleacher stairs and all these, these different things that I don't think, as you said, I don't think a team today is going to allow a top prospect or a, a top pitcher coming in to do those same types of things. And teams just didn't own the players overall like they did back then. Uh, Doc would never have allowed a Ross Atkins to tell him to stop doing that. Whereas today's day and age pitchers, a Nate Pearson coming up is never going to be allowed to prepare in that same way. And I think that preparation got Doc there. I think he did burn out his shoulder toward the end of, of his career, ending his career a little sooner than it probably should have. But um, so maybe he did work too hard in some aspects, but you're right. I, I just don't see them having another pitcher in the major leagues uh, that works that hard. And that uh, is allowed to work that hard by, by some of the front offices of today. Yeah. I, I, unfortunately, I just don't, I just don't think we'll ever see a guy like doc again. And that just shows how good he was and how hard he worked. Moving on to a segment we introduced last week, 
Relevance zero on Monday night, the Miami Marlins lost big time to the Chicago White Sox. And it seemed like everybody was hitting a home run as even former Blue Jay Ryan Goins jumped in on the front. The Marlins social media operator took a screenshot of all of their at-bat notifications showing four home runs in just one hour for the White Sox and all of their uh, other runs scored and posted on Twitter with a caption of, bro, we are straight up having the greatest possible time right now. Fans then decided to pick out the fact that the phone's battery is 22% and they should get a charger. The Marlins replied with, none of you can make us charge our phone, basically saying it was a great game and they were on the edge of their seats. And honestly, I loved all of it. The next day, the Mar- with the Marlins up 4 nothing, the Blue Jays replied to one of their tweets asking if they are straight up having a better day today, even adding bro at the end, to which the Marlins replied, yes, bro. And the Blue Jays shared a gif, shared a gif of Vladdy giving Teoscar Hernandez a big hug. The Marlins have been great all season at making the best out of their team's struggles. So should more teams take a Marlins approach to poor performance? Well, I guess. I mean, <laughs> you've got to try and make some sunshine out of, the, out of such, such rainy days for, for teams that are, are playing like this. I mean, poor Baltimore, I, I think of uh, even worse than the Jays. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's a great strategy. It's a great strategy to keep fans engaged. It's a great strategy to get fans smiling and laughing and being interested, even when things are tough. Uh, and, you know, I think that's that's a common place in baseball right now where we've got a lot of rebuilds happening and we've got a lot of teams that don't know how to market a team that's in rebuild mode. I think the Jays are okay at it. I think the Orioles do nothing with it. Uh, so to see the Marlins... The Orioles do nothing with anything. So. That's true. But to see the Marlins, you know, trying to make the best out of a, of a terrible situation while they get the team back to hopefully respectability over the next few years is a great thing. And teams should take note of that. And, and yes, I think that more teams should be doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it'll, it'll take the, the, the Marlins about a decade to, uh, to get back into contention with how bad that system and system is and how bad that team is right now. There are no pieces on that team that, someone that some other team is going to say, you know what? I want that guy, maybe Sergio Romo, but you're not going to get a bigger term for Sergio Romo. He's what? 37 years old. So um, the Marlins are just brutal. And the thing is they're, they're being noticed by other teams, fan bases. Like, like, like me, I'm not a Marlins fan. I'm a Jays fan, but I see that the Marlins are sharing these things on social media and they're, they're going viral for them. And I think it's hilarious and I love it. So keeping the fans interested. I think that, I think it does that and, um, and making them laugh and smile and laugh at how, how terrible their team really is. And it allows them to make fun of their, their team just a little bit. And you know what? I don't know how many fans the Marlins have. That place does not fill up and neither does the trop. And it's, 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 it's surprising because you know, the, the two Florida teams two to the, that are in some of the hottest places in the United States don't get um, a lot of fans to come out and it's, it's disappointing but, you know, the Marlins are struggling, and I love that their social media team is making the best out of it, making fun of the Marlins, um, and just, just having a great time. And the Jays are, the Jays, like you said, they're okay at it. They're not, they're not the Marlins at making fun of their team, but um, they're certainly not the Orioles either. So they're not bad. And just, just, just growing the team on social media because that seems to be where everything is headed. So, you know what? I think more teams should take the Marlins approach to poor performance. I agree. Moving on. Uh, to Ryan Baraki's debut, well, the guy that I said last year had, le- had a legitimate shot of being a future ace or number two starter in this Blue Jays rotation is back. And while his first start was far from ideal, it was still pretty good. 
Last weekend in Detroit, Ryan Baraki said he'll know he's fully back when he gets that sharp slider back. And unfortunately on Monday, it wasn't there. Baraki didn't have a bad outing. He pitched four and two-thirds innings, allowing four runs with only two of them earned. Had Freddie Galvis not made that misstep error, he probably goes deeper into the ballgame, allowing just the two runs that were earned and not the two extra unearned runs. Uh, The main area of concern for me was the fact that he walked four and only struck out three. However, I feel that that was really only because he didn't have that slider. And when it is consistently missing the strike zone, it's not great for you. Other than that, I was pretty impressed. He got a few big ground balls in big situations, which was good to see as he is a ground ball pitcher, certainly not a strikeout guy, and his outing was was decent. Um, what were your thoughts on Baraki's performance and his return? I thought it was good. I mean, you can't expect him to be perfect when he gets back uh, for his first outing, and, and I think, uh, you know, that slider will come back. There's no question about that. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I still don't know that I'm – with you on the whole ace thing, but at the same time, maybe not an ace, maybe not an ace, but, <laughs> but I think he could be a two or a three in yeah, a good rotation. Yeah, for sure in certain rotations, and most likely a three in top rotations to a four, but uh, but still very good, and and I think he will be still very good, and I think actually his first outing back was the outing a fourth starter would have. So if he wants to elevate himself to what a typical third starter would be, that's the next step, but. Um, you know, I think he he did fairly well. Yeah, you know, I don't think he was uh, I don't think he was that bad in his in his start, and obviously he didn't go as deep as he would have loved. But he walked four guys. That's mainly because the slider wasn't there, and he can't expect it to be there in his first start back after having such a long time off. But um, you know, it was it was it, it was pretty good. I'm not I'm not disappointed in his start. I expect better in his second start. I know it's going to be tougher. It's against Tampa Bay. And I believe that the Rays have beat him up in the past. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. He starts on Saturday against Tampa Bay. Um, could you maybe see a rotation right now, just based on the people that the Jays have in the system, of a Nate Pearson, Alec Manoa, and Ryan Barucki as a three, or maybe have a Yenzi Diaz or TJ Zoik as a three and Ryan Barucki as a four? I think I could see either of those options, and uh, and it's just a matter of how they perform. There's really no other way to say it. I mean, it's it's all going to come down to how they perform, not their minor league performance, but how they perform when they get to the big leagues, and that will determine the order of the rotation, and that's the bottom line. Um, so could he be a three? Could he be a four? Could Zoic be a three or a four? Who knows? We'll see. Uh, when these guys get here, I think you'll st- still definitely see a Pearson at the top. Uh, you'll see a Manoa at the top. But after that, it's it's anybody's guess. You know, we heard Scott MacArthur, or we didn't hear Scott MacArthur talking about it. We were talking to Scott MacArthur about it, and he was saying that uh, Nate Pearson, he's, he's a big guy consistently pumping in 100 miles an hour as a starting pitcher. Manoa, if you take a look at Alec Manoa, he's six foot six. He's two hundred forty pounds. He's a big guy. Is he is he more likely to sustain that velocity, that high velocity, without injury than Nate Pearson? I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, anytime you're putting that kind of torque on an arm, no matter your size, uh, you've got risk of injury. And so to to really come out and make that kind of prediction, I don't think we can. But at the same time, you know, maybe Manoa has less risk of it. Um, but again, it's all in how you're built. It's all in how you're putting that torque on the arm. It's all in how you're preparing for your starts and preparing for your outings. So it, it's really tough to make that call. But I would 
imagine if I were to, to have to make that call, I would guess that Manoa maintains it longer. But again, there's no way to really truly say. Yeah, and obviously we're not medical experts, so uh, we have no idea. Now, this was a topic that was actually requested by quite a few people, so I decided to add it to the episode. On Tuesday night, I know you didn't see this because you were at the game, which, uh, how was it, first of all? It was a good game. It was a good game. I mean, they ended up winning in, in the 10th uh, inning and walking it off. I mean, it was, okay, it was a good game for a baseball fan. It was not a good game if you're just getting into baseball because it was <laughs> super boring for those folks. But, um, but it was a good game overall. Yeah, I, I personally really enjoyed watching the game. And when the Jays hosted Cleveland, the game was, was available exclusively on YouTube. And a lot of fans had a problem with this, but I personally really, really enjoyed it. And uh, you were at the game, so you didn't see it, as I mentioned. Um, but what were your thoughts on the YouTube game of the week? Well, I think it's better than Facebook because I think last year the problem with the Facebook issue was that not everybody has Facebook. And I think with YouTube and doing YouTube Live and all these things, um, you know, anybody can access that. You don't have to have a YouTube account to see that. And I think that was where they made that mistake last year with Facebook. You're right. I didn't see the broadcast. I didn't see the prior YouTube broadcast either the week before with whomever had it then. And, um, and so I haven't had a chance to actually go back and look at that. Uh, but from the sounds of it, I mean, I've, I've heard a couple of good things. Um, I've also heard the broadcast team isn't maybe everybody's favorite, but, uh, um, but I think certainly it's stronger than having it on Facebook. Yeah, for sure. And having it on YouTube makes it more accessible to people, as you mentioned, because not everyone has a Facebook account, but YouTube is available for everyone. And I personally really enjoyed you get to interview players in in game. And we saw Dodgers and Phillies in the first week. That was the first matchup on YouTube. Clayton Kershaw was interviewed by the uh, broadcast team. And last week or this week, sorry, Danny Jansen was interviewed. And the YouTube comment section absolutely adored Danny Jansen. And the interview was phenomenal. And um, I think I think it's great. I loved it because I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm looking at the comments and you see these these people talking about Danny Jansen and how great the interview was, and whenever he makes a big block, huge block by our boy Danny there. I love I love being able to see fans' comments uh, as the game progresses. So I really enjoyed that. And as for the broadcast team, Scott Braun is on the broadcast every week, and he adds well, he doesn't add personally, but they add um, two players, two former players that have been linked to to the teams uh this week it was cliff floyd and sean casey sean casey big guy in ohio and uh and cliff floyd played for the expos for a while and now he does blue jay central on occasion so they had cliff floyd and sean casey and i i love those two together it was it was hilarious uh in the ninth inning cliff floyd gave sean casey a cookie which he called disgusting and it was the jays rally cookie because they scored the game time run in the ninth inning, and they didn't want to put the cookie away, and they ended up winning it with the cookie sitting on the desk. And that's stuff you don't get to hear with Buck and Pat in the booth. And you know what? As good as they are and as, as nice as it is to listen to them and watch them on TV, it was, it was great to watch Scott Braun and, and Sean Casey and Cliff Floyd have, uh, have their go at things. And last week we saw Earl Hershiser, and I, I, I can't remember the name of, that, uh, of the Phillies, the former Phillies catcher that was on the broadcast as well. Um, but you know what? I personally really love it. I, I like it. I like the idea. 
I think it's going to last a long time. Do I think that we might see a change in broadcasters? Maybe we get a permanent broadcast team? Maybe. But I also really enjoy having guys that are known to be around certain ball clubs because they just know them better. And uh, the fans love them because you see Cleveland fans in the comments section gushing about Sean Casey. And you see Jays fans talking about Cliff Floyd, who's on Blue Jays Central. Everybody knows Cliff Floyd. Everybody loves Cliff Floyd. Cliff Floyd is phenomenal. So I personally really enjoy it. Moving on to a new segment we are calling Worth Noting. Uh, In Worth Noting, we will talk about uh, news around the league, news bites that shouldn't go unnoticed because oftentimes we do tend to do that when we focus on the Blue Jays and we'll add some of the Blue Jays farm decision talk along the way. So, first topic. The Giants are suddenly good again. All of a sudden, they're two games out of the wild cards. Should they really be selling at the deadline? Uh, well, no, no. I mean, if you're two games out of the uh, out of the wild card at deadline time, you should be adding. I mean, that's just uh, common sense. I'd be surprised if they. I mean, I know you have to think about the future too, but I'd be very surprised if they uh, if they sold as heavily as they had originally planned. Uh, but I, but boy, in the next few days, if they're still just two out, maybe even one by the time the deadline rolls around, uh, I don't know. I don't think you can sell. Yeah, they're certainly making it easy for first-time general manager Farhan Zaidi. I don't know if he's first-time general manager, actually. First-year general manager with the Giants, he is, and it's, it's a tough call. Thing is, their farm system is not there. So if you go for it now, you lose the somewhat decent pieces you have in your farm system, and your future is looking more like it's a Marlins future, which is not a good thing. Um, next up, Jeff Lunau, the GM of the Astros, said Monday that this current roster could win the World Series, but they are still exploring pitching and catching depth. Do you think he's right, or are the Strohs still a piece or two away? Uh, I think he's. I think he's right. Uh, I mean, they. I mean, any team can add if you're going to get top players, but uh, but I think this team is is this Astros team is is as good as as it can be, and I think he is correct. I think this team can win the World Series without any additions? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I still think they need maybe a bullpen arm, maybe. I, I, I mean, catching, you look at their catchers, they've got Max Stassi back there. And they probably want someone who's better offensively, maybe, um, behind the dish, maybe has a stronger arm. I think the Strohs certainly have a shot at winning it all with this roster, but I think that a piece or two um, would certainly not harm them. Um, moving on, first reported by me, the Blue Jays' 2019 first-round pick Alec Manoa is in Vancouver and is expected to be activated by the short-season club in the coming days. With Manoa reportedly two to two and a half years out, when is a realistic arrival for him in the big leagues? Two to two and a half years. <laughs> you, that, that's your answer? Yeah. I mean, I, I, think that's, I think that that is a realistic timeline, which is weird because I wouldn't normally agree with timelines that this front office comes up with. But, um, but I think that's realistic for a pitcher. And, you know, barring injury, maybe he could get there slightly quicker but, uh, or if he's absolutely dominant. But, uh, but, yeah, I think it's a fair timeline. Well, Manoa's a big dude. and He was throwing 97 uh, in, in college, so he's clearly got the arm for it. And he is not that far out. I mean, he, he's starting in Vancouver. He's not even – I think he played a little bit in an instructional league. But uh, 
he's going straight to Vancouver. He's skipping over Bluefield and places like that. So he's got Vancouver, Lansing, Dunedin, New Hampshire, and Buffalo to go before he is in the big leagues. And maybe we even see him skip over a Lansing and go straight to Dunedin next season because I think he might stick out the rest of the year with Vancouver this year. So, you know what, I think two two to two and a half years might not be the wrong prediction either. Um, Maybe he gets there a little quicker, as you mentioned. Maybe it takes him a little bit longer if he runs into some struggles because obviously now you're in professional baseball and hitters are just better here, so he's going to have to adapt to them. But you know what, Manoa's got wipeout breaking stuff and he has got a lively fastball. He He has not touched 100 yet, but you know what, he's thrown 97 consistently, which is very good. Um, and finally, Nate Pearson pitched five and two-thirds no-hit innings yesterday in utter domination for New Hampshire. So who gets to AAA first? Will it be Forrest Wall or will it be Nate Pearson? I think it's going to be Nate Pearson. Pitching is needed at the big league level, and it's needed soon. Um, and, you know, Wall's doing great, don't get me wrong, but I think you, you'll see Nate Pearson in AAA. Fun fact... Uh, that just came up from at MWBII on Twitter, Michael Bradburn. Uh, only five pitchers have a K to walk rate greater than 27%. Do you know who they are? Do I know who they are? Of course I know who they are. <laughs> it's um... good cut. Good guess. Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, Chris Sale, Justin Verlander, and get this, we're, gonna, we're about to validate Mark Shapiro and his upsetness with the trades that Alex Anthopoulos made. Yes, we have said Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, Chris Sale, Justin Verlander. The next one, Matt Boyd. How about that? Really? How about that? That's wow. a little bit scary. Was Shapiro ultimately right that that was a huge mistake? I don't know. We'll see. But interesting numbers there. Yeah, interesting numbers indeed. And Matt Boyd is likely to get shipped again at the deadline to a contender that would need a starting pitcher and likely misses out on Marcus Stroman. So, uh, very quickly, uh, we would like to mention how happy we are for our good friend Scott MacArthur. He came out as gay over the weekend. So we're very happy for Scott that he was able to share that. So this has been episode 36 of 211's Baseball Talk. For Chris Baker, I am Dylan Baker. Take it how you want to, Marcus Stroman and Mike Studd, the song, Walking You Out, if you are listening on Anchor. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you all next week.